Okay, so welcome back to Russell Street Replay. This is our second show that we're doing in our video format on YouTube, as well as our usual podcast platforms. Um, after last week's interview with uh, undrafted free agent uh, Shamar Bridges, which was a blast. And today we're really excited to welcome Ted Seth, a research and development intern with Pro Football Focus. Ted, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on and talk about the Ravens with you today. Yeah. So before we launch into the Ravens, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of how, you know, you first got interested in football, your experience at PFF, how that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up a pretty big football fan just because that's what my grandpa and dad were really into. Uh, even though my first season that I really followed football closely was the Owen 16 Lions season, I was able to, uh, <laughs> still stay in after that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've really, I've been really happy with being a big football fan and everything. Um, but I didn't really get into the analytics side of things until my freshman year of college, when I got to school and I joined a football analytics club and I started to really learn about like how data can be used in football and different stuff like that. But then we got shut down because of COVID and we had to go home for the school year. So while I was sitting in quarantine, I stumbled across a graph from Ben Baldwin and it, I wanted to make my own version of it. And so I, you know, looked up how to use NFL data with the R programming language uh, and started coding from there. And then I, uh, I started posting graphs on Twitter and found out pretty quickly that, you know, there's a lot of constructive feedback that you'll get from doing that. Uh, but it, I was really glad I started posting on Twitter because um, it was how I was able to end up getting into pro football focus was they saw that I was doing public work on Twitter and that, you know, I kind of knew what I was talking about. So when they offered me the internship last year, uh, I was really glad I, I took that on and was able to join them. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, it was before this was reading some of your articles, you know, what, what parts of data analytics and football interest you the most? Are there any specific, like, positions or scheme related things that interest you the most? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I, I really like watching, you know, good quarterback play and like very high level quarterback play. So I'm always thinking about ways to measure quarterbacks relative to their supporting cast. You know, we see that so many talented quarterbacks will sometimes end up on organizations that don't necessarily have the right support for them to develop. But then you have other instances where, quarterbacks get put into really good situations and, you know, organizations that are open to their different skill sets. And, you know, you're very familiar with that, with the Ravens and Lamar, like we don't know if Lamar was to go to a different team, if they would have been so good at putting in the run concepts to help him excel and, you know, being able to put in the right scheme and stuff like that. So I've, I've always been super interested in, you know, looking at quarterback play and trying to separate their supporting cast from that when we have, statistics relating to evaluating how uh, quarterbacks perform. So it's interesting you bring up quarterbacks and supporting class, because that's like one of the probably the, the biggest conversation topic in, in Baltimore right now about the Ravens is, you know, who 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 are going to be Lamar Jackson's top targets. And my my answer usually is if you're looking for a true wide receiver one, and I think that's a pretty abstract term as it is. I think Bateman has the potential to be that guy. And I think Mark Andrews for all intents and purposes already effectively is that guy. Sure. He's a tight end, but I just think between those two, there's not this dearth of talent. Like people think, um, I mean, I'd love to see them out of that, but what do you think of, of their move to trade away Hollywood Brown and go with kind of this very paired back group of, of targets for Lamar Jackson now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 
I was a huge fan of Mark Andrews's game last year. I thought he's always been, you know, a, a really good tight end, but the way he played, you know, through a kind of a weird year for the Ravens where they were very injury prone. Um, they had different quarterbacks playing because Lamar got injured and Lamar was sick for a little bit, different stuff like that. But Mark Andrews just consistently was really good the whole season. And I think I would feel comfortable with putting him in the elite tight end category now with Kelsey and Kittle because of the way he played last year. So he's definitely a really good number one receiving option. And then Bateman has to, you know, really take the next step this year, but he has all the skills to do that as a first round wide receiver that a lot of people like coming out of college. And he can be a really good number two receiving option on the outside. But I definitely think the Ravens should be looking to add a veteran or some type of player to not necessarily replicate what Hollywood Brown was doing, but at least fulfill one aspect of it. So if you go out and you get someone like a Will Fuller or a Deshaun Jackson, you can at least have the speed aspect that Hollywood Brown provided and have someone that can take the top off the defenses, which would be really important for the Ravens offense. Yeah, I think I'm starting to come back around to the idea of Fuller. And part of it is, you know, having to talk myself into whatever's out there on the market. But I think the thing with Fuller is it was a broken finger last year. He missed a bunch of games in 2020 for a suspension. So that that tag of injury prone has affected him in his career, but it's not necessarily year in, year out chronic with his legs or things like that with Julio, um, which is part of the reason why I'd be worried about signed Julio over um, Fuller. I think Deshaun Jackson's another good option. I think one of the things that's interesting about the Ravens is, you know, after this draft, you know, they drafted two tight ends and they're even talking about, you know, moving Isaiah likely tight end, like not, not moving him into being a wide receiver, but effectively using him as a receiving only tight end, like he'll block, but trying to put him in as many receiving and matchups, receiving matchups as he can, just because he's got the size and speed. Do you think that they're going to be able to find success and in the regular season? They always do, but in the playoffs, with this run heavy offense, this tight end heavy offense, do you think that when it comes down to it late in these games against the chiefs and the bills and the playoffs, they're going to be able to keep up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's like a, a really good question and something that I think needs to be kind of considered after what we saw last year. So, you know, when you have a run heavy approach to your offense, you limit your range of outcomes and you don't have super wide right tail variance, like super, super high elite level offense doesn't come as often, but for the most part, you're going to get really good offense consistently, right? You're going to be more consistent, but not have the wide range of outcomes. But then we saw with, you know, the Rams going to the Super Bowl last year that they were very inconsistent on offense throughout the year, right? Like first eight weeks, best offense in the NFL. Um, they had a four week stretch where they couldn't really move the ball and Stafford was throwing a lot of interceptions, stuff like that. But then, you know, when, when the passing game got hot in the playoffs, they were able to do that. So with the Ravens run heavy approach, it's going to make them a really good regular season team. But when they get to the playoffs, it's going to be something that they're going to have to open up and air it out a little bit more just because they, they need to, you know, lean into the wide range of outcomes that, you know, Lamar as a passer can give them. Um, you know, he, he could hit on a lot of passes and, you know, do that for three straight games and take them to the Super Bowl. Or he could have a game like he had against the Browns on Sunday night this past year where the passing game fell off. He throws a couple interceptions and they don't move the ball. That's okay to do because, you know, when you're an underdog, 
playing against the Bills or the Chiefs in the playoffs, you want to increase that range of outcomes as much as possible and want to increase your variance. So that's the right thing to do when they when they get to the postseason. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of like putting into better terms the importance of having that sharp passing game when you get to the postseason because it's not just, you know, you have to be able to pass the ball to win in the NFL. It's being able to get down the field quickly in those crucial situations. We saw that so many times this postseason. And yeah, you know, your passing offense, the Ravens beat up on some pretty poor passing defenses last season and Lamar looked really good doing it. But then, you know, when your number two wide receiver is Devin DuVernay or Tylen Wallace lining up against, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I can't think of the cornerback duos in the, in the AFC at the moment, but lining up against, you know, a number two cornerback, it's, it's not going to go that well for you. You're going to have a hard time. Andrews is just going to get doubled so much this season that, I'm worried about their ability to open up the passing game. And yeah, the run game can get them through regular season, but they're really going to be put to the test in, in the playoffs. I, and I think that's true. Even if they do make a veteran receiving addition here, because like you said, those, those guys like Sean Jackson and Will Fuller aren't going to put them over the top necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, so something interesting about that, that, uh, that we measure at PFF is we kind of see on, on, we look at on run plays using the tracking data how, how good linebackers are at flowing to the running back from the time of the handoff, like one second into the play. Right. And so what we've seen with that is that just by having Lamar Jackson on the field, even if he's not holding the ball on handoffs, linebackers aren't moving as well to the running back than, you know, with other teams, like it's consistently every single year when Lamar is on the field for the Ravens, linebackers don't move as much than when he's off the field and Tyler Huntley is playing or Joe Flacco was playing a couple of years ago, linebackers move a lot easier. So, you know, that's something that he provides. That's not a passer, but can open up the middle of the field more is, you know, these linebackers not being able to know exactly how to guard Lamar Jackson. So I think it makes it a little bit, he doesn't have to be an elite passer to take the Ravens to the Super Bowl. He just needs to be above average passer that has the rushing ability to kind of confuse defenses enough to uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, and I think I think that that test of Lamar as a passer, I think, is where the disconnect between like the Ravens need to shell out every single dollar in the world for Lamar versus not because if if he if we get to the playoffs year in you know this year again and the Ravens just don't have the talent in the passing game around him it's really tough to evaluate him as a franchise quarterback when you can argue they're not giving him you know the weapons to succeed and then he doesn't look like he's or you know some people don't think he's worth the massive contract I think he's worth every penny and I'm fairly certain a deal is going to get done but do you think that you know the way the Ravens offense is structured hampers his ability to really show off as a passer? Or do you think it's just right for him? Yeah, it's so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, what I mentioned at the beginning was they had the right situation for him to come into, especially in his 2019 season when, you know, he really took the next step and played as an, at an MVP level was they had all the 12 and 13 personnel with Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst and, you know, different tight ends mixing in there that really helped him develop. But now it does seem like they need to get a true X receiver on the outside that can really, you know, open up the offense and not keep everything so condensed for them right now. Because, you know, the Ravens offense right now with with Greg Roman is a lot of, you know, where either Lamar is handing it off, Lamar is running or Lamar is throwing over the middle of the field. And so defenses have, you know, have really started to force him to throw outside 
the numbers. And like, that's kind of where he struggled. And part of the reason why he struggled there is because you don't have a true number one receiver that's like able to win one-on-one matchups when everyone else is condensed in the middle of the field. So you're right about, it does make it harder to evaluate how he is, um, you know, in regards to that. And like, that's definitely something I would want to see, to feel more comfortable about him as a franchise quarterback, but he's, he's totally done enough to deserve a massive extension, but you know, you just want to see one more step from him in the right direction to put himself in the elite quarterback category. Yeah. I mean, like I I want him to get rid of those games like, like Cleveland last year. Right. Mm -hmm. When, but I think the thing, the thing I've seen is when he, when he has receivers who can get open on the outside, he hits them. I mean, that was one of the things that he did actually Hollywood Brown was surprisingly good as an outside receiver for how small he is because of that, because of his connection with Lamar, because Lamar's ability to hit him outside, but he just didn't have that chemistry with anyone else since he's been in Baltimore. And I think that hopefully all the workouts he's getting with Bateman and and, and just more time with everyone this offseason will help. Um, you know, he had he had COVID and you know, different random days where he'd missed practice a lot last season. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing that, you know, you kind of you realize in hindsight how important that stuff can be. Um, so a- another thing I think that a lot of people talked about the Ravens is kind of them not taking a wide receiver after taking, after, um, trading away Hollywood Brown. And instead a lot, there was actually a lot of, a lot of support for their draft class, but then there were a lot of those, um, you know, post-draft breakdowns where the, you know, NFL executives give their insider secrets. And there were a lot that I felt like were criticizing the Ravens. There was that one from the athletic that, that quote that went around a lot that said, you know, they try to roll 11 in Vegas instead of seven, that's Baltimore in the draft because they went like safety center, injured ash rusher and interior defensive lineman with the first four picks. Do you like agree with that criticism? Do you kind of push back against it a little bit? Yeah, I, I found that criticism really weird when I was going through that athletic article because, he, you know, he called him, he called the Ravens an outlier in the draft, right? And, you know, they, they weren't the only team in the first round to take a safety because the Bengals took Daxton Hill and the Vikings took Lewisine and the Ravens easily got the best safety of those three to go in the first round. And then they weren't the only ones to take, uh, you know, interior offensive linemen as well. The Chargers took Zion Johnson, Texans took Kenyon Green. And then if you really want to talk about an outlier, the Patriots took a guard who was supposed to go in the second or third round there. And then again, like the Ravens got the best out of all the interior offensive linemen, the highest on consensus boards. And, you know, uh, you know, both Kyle Hamilton and Tyler Lindebaum were being talked about a couple months ago as the best prospects to come out in their respective positions in the last couple of years. So, you know, other teams were doing, were taking the same types of positions that the Ravens were taking in the first round. And the Ravens were just getting better value on those positions because they were taking the best prospects for each one. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's just kind of their MO. And and the question is, is, is the kind of positional value revolution ever going to come to Baltimore? I think the way their offense is set up definitely helps them with that. Um, because again, they, they value tight ends really highly and wide, wide receivers, not, not as highly. And that really helps them in, in the financial market in terms of how much money's getting thrown around. But I, I do think, I do think there is somewhat of a risk when you're, when you're banking on all of these picks to hit, like when they waited until the fourth round to get a cornerback, which I thought was really surprising because usually this team loves their earlier dra- or to draft their cornerbacks on, on day two, especially. Um, and so it's again, you've, you mentioned earlier, it's, it's really interesting to just watch Baltimore because 
you know they have a plan. It just it's almost like it just has to take its time to reveal itself. There's a saying, you know, on Ravens Twitter, it's just in EDC we trust. And that's partially because I have no idea what this roster is honestly going to look like by the time the season rolls around, because there, there's probably five or six guys that made the team last year that I could see us that are still around that I could still see us cutting. Um, because I just I think that there's a there's got to be some kind of move coming and it can't just be Justin Houston, even though I think he's going to come back. Yeah, no, I yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you're, that's that's really true is like, I think I think the Ravens were revealed a little bit of their plan to us with this draft class. Uh, and, and, and just the whole offseason in general, right? So we know with new defensive coordinator Mike McDonald coming in, my, uh, my friend Arjun Menon at PFF pointed out that last season, the Ravens were in two high shells about 47% of the time. And then Michigan's defense, where Mike McDonald comes from, had two high shells at 67% of the time. So we can see that, you know, they're going to go from a lot of single high stuff to more two high stuff, which is kind of the future of the league right now. And then it also shows us by paying Marcus Williams $70 million and drafting Kyle Hamilton at 14 overall, they really think that the value of safeties is going to be a lot higher. And they're really banking on safeties. You know, I'm not saying necessarily be more important than cornerbacks in general, but more important than they used to be relative to corners, which is why they invested so much in safeties this offseason. And, uh, and like you mentioned, waited until later in the draft to take a corner. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like there was a time where we talked about play making safeties every single week, whether Dawkins, Reed, Palomalu, Sanders, like every week. And, you know, yeah, there, there are a lot of great safeties still now in the NFL, but we don't, they're not as prominent players in the league anymore. And I think that the, the switch back to all of these two high shells that the Ravens are certainly embracing and they, they're making an active decision to embrace it even more so with drafting Hamilton. I mean, they, they have two, they have two free safeties on the starting free safeties on their team. Now um, Hamilton, I think definitely is built to play downhill in the box more, but he still has plenty of range to play free safety. And I, what's funny is they got burned so badly last year on so many plays partially. Yeah. They were injured, but just in general that you, it's almost like uh, such a over, not an overcorrection, but a very clear correction for an issue last season. Um, but it, that's like you said earlier, that's not necessarily usually the kind of thing you see for the Ravens where they react right away. So I'm very curious to see what their defense looks like this year, how many times they roll out three safety sets if they hold on to Chuck Clark, because there have been rumors about him getting traded too. Um, because I could see them playing with probably what six defensive backs on the field, on, on, on probably a majority of their, maybe not a majority of their snaps, but a lot of their snaps this season, maybe more than any other team, just because they've built up talent there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely could see if they do hold on to Chuck Clark, them rolling out the three safeties a good amount. And I, I, I think that would be, you know, exactly what you want, especially in the AFC North, when you're competing with the Bengals and the Browns for the division, those teams are going to be based off explosive passing attacks, because that's what their quarterbacks excel in. And so what you, you want to roll out the defensive backs that can stop that attack. And maybe you'll, you know, lose some ground in the run game there. Uh, you know, when, when defending both of those teams, but you really need to stop their explosive passing plays if you want to win the division this year. So I, I, I think it's the step in the right direction for their defense. Um, you know, it's just going to be a lot of new pieces, you know, with, with both corners coming back from injuries and then both safeties kind of being, you know, into brought into the system and everything. So it might take a little while to get going. 
So another thing that um, I'm kind of curious to see about this season, because it got, again, a lot of press last season, is how John Harbaugh, how aggressive is John Harbaugh? Because, we, you know, we've covered the fourth down decisions, the the two-point conversion decisions, that honestly, there were very few I didn't agree with last season. Um, some of them were very analytics-driven. A couple of them, people were blaming analytics when he actually did the opposite of what analytics suggest he, suggested he should do. So what are your what are your thoughts on how, how aggressive Harbaugh was last year? And what do you, like, do you agree with it? Do you think you should continue to do it in 2022? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I really respected John Harbaugh's aggressiveness in, in all areas of the game, um, especially last year when it made a lot of sense to do what he was doing, right? And, like, when you're an underdog, the longer that a game gets drawn out, the less chance that you have of winning the game. You know, it's just it's just like the, the law of large numbers or the law of averages. And so by going for two twice in those situations against the Steelers and against the Packers, when the Ravens were just beat up and injured and were not the best team in both of those games, you had the opportunity to kind of like steal a win right there and then instead of, you know, kicking the extra point, going into overtime and probably having a less chance to win then. So I, I, I really like that. But, you know, as long as the Ravens stay healthy this year, they should be a favorite in most of the games that they play. So, you know, you'd, you'd want to see him adjust to that, um, you know, as, as the season goes on. And, you know, if he has that opportunity to win the game by going for two, he probably shouldn't do that this season as long as the team is healthy because you would want to extend the game as much as possible given that you have the better team to give yourself the opportunity to win in overtime. Yeah, and I think I'm, obviously that's that's kind of what we're hoping for is that the team stays healthy. And I think that's another thing that people – kind of conveniently forgot about last year was just that, you know, at the end of some of these games, sometimes these injuries happened during the game. Like I remember the Steelers game, we were literally out of cornerbacks on our roster to put in that we would have had probably, I don't even know who like our safeties literally just had to stick them out wide and hope they could hang on in, in, in coverage. And, you know, Ben was for some reason slinging it that day um, in that, that Steelers game. So it, it's also at the point where you're almost, forced into a corner of these decisions. And so I, I think he likes to just go with his aggressiveness and go with his gut, which is, I think something the fans appreciate in the moment, even if they, even if they groan about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it was, it's just really interesting that like the process was sound there and like, we both agreed with the decision. It like stinks that the result wasn't good because, you know, like that's what most fans react to is, is what ends up happening. And like, if he just, if they just converted one of those, like it would, it would have been a totally different conversation, but since both of those two point conversions failed uh, and, you know, it, people, people came after him and the, you know, kind of like the analytics for that and everything. Yeah. And again, there was that, there, there was the scenario, I think it was the Browns game when he went for two at the end of the Browns game, he should have gone for two when he was down I can't remember when you're down eight, eight. Down eight yeah. yeah. When you're down eight, you should go for two instead of when you tie it up at the end. And, you know, the analytics say go for two down eight, which is what he did in a different game. I can't remember which one that was because it happened so many times, but it was just really interesting to see, you know, how this, this almost this live decision-making process carried out. It was almost, I mean, as unfortunate as all the injuries were, it was a, almost a really interesting experiment to just watch how the team battled with it because, you know, you wonder throughout the season, like, okay, at what point do you phone it in and, you know, just start getting the younger guys out there. And the Ravens were like, no, we're, we're still going to try and make the playoffs and, and just 
see what happens. And I think that's because they, they, they fully believe that if they have Lamar Jackson, which as it turns out, who knows if he would have even been back for the playoffs, but if they have Lamar Jackson on the field, they think they can win pretty much any, any game that's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I just, I just hope he gets the chance to, to do that more often against the best teams this season. I think that's the thing I miss more from like the 2019 is just not just beating teams, but being good teams. Like we beating a good Rams team, um, it just feels like with the um, how competitive the AFC in general is now, there's just a lot of good football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So like that's that you know, what something is really interesting to to watch this year is you know, not only is the Ravens division really good and has three teams that you know you could see making the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, with the Bengals making it last year, you know, with even though there was a lot of luck involved in that, you know, they've done it before, so they could do it again. The Browns now, you know, now that they've massively upgraded at quarterback, they could do that too. And then, and then the Ravens are also going to be Super Bowl contenders there as well. But then when you expand out to, you know, the entire league, you can see that, you know, sometimes when the, when a team is the best team in the NFL, they don't win the Super Bowl that year just because of variance and because other opposing teams are going to be building their rosters to stop who they think is the best team in their side of the conference. Right. So like the bills were the best team in the NFL last year and they didn't get the super bowl out of it. Uh, the chiefs were the best team two years ago and they lost in the super bowl. And then the Ravens were the best team three years ago and, you know, they didn't get out of the divisional round. So, you know, when, when the league is kind of going one way with all the too high stuff and, you know, players getting faster and better at coverage on defense, the Ravens run heavy approach, might be kind of like zagging when the rest of the league is zigging and could really take advantage of, you know, the other defenses, um, you know, being more prepared to stop the pass instead of stop the run. Yeah. And, and again, it's, and, and again, trying to having spent so much time analyzing the team and, and writing about the team, it's, it's easier to be a little bit more detached and be just excited to see what happens because the way it's going right now, the Ravens are going to need some pretty big plays from Isaiah likely or Charlie Kolar in the playoffs. If they want to make the Super Bowl. I would, one of those two guys as a rookie is probably going to have to make a play in a big moment at some point, because they're going to, they're going to double Andrews. I think by the end of the season, Andrews and Bateman are just going to be seeing double teams all the time, unless another guy on the team has really stepped up in the regular season, which with the run heavy offense and so many targets going to Andrews and Bateman, there's not going to be a ton of opportunity for that to happen. And one, it's, I, I think it sets you up for moments in the postseason where these players who you have drafted and put your faith into on both sides of the ball. I think Tyus Bowser is another really good example. He's coming off his Achilles tear, but had some really great moments last season. The Ravens really believe in him as a game, as a, you know, an impact player on defense, but he hasn't done that in huge moments against really good teams yet. And so part of it is a lot of these guys, they're just going to have to live up to what the Ravens see in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. the importance of secondary receivers becomes really important in the playoffs as defensive game plans start to become more tailored to the specific team instead of, you know, instead of what the defense usually does. And that was especially prevalent in the 49ers Packers playoff game last year, where once the 49ers, you know, put a lot of attention on Devonte Adams, the offense, the Packers offense just didn't look like they, it usually looked. So, you know, I, I, I do think it's interesting. The Ravens are going to bet on a rookie tight end really stepping up 
to kind of open up their offense and become their third receiving option. But, you know, if, if that's like really the final piece of the puzzle for them, you know, I, I, I think I can see like why they would want to count on that instead of, you know, some other teams that have to count on multiple pieces coming together for them to make a Super Bowl run. Yeah, and I think it's 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 I guess it's not just likely or Kolar. It's one of Duvernay, Tylen Wallace, James Proshi. You know, there are some undrafted guys who were on the practice squad last season, like Benjamin Victor, who like have talent. It's just not clear that they're going to be able to produce in those big moments in the playoffs when you're facing the best defenses in the NFL. Can you know? Can can James Proshi, Devin Duvernay convert a third and you know twelve in the fourth quarter? that's like, that's going to be the test. But I also think that's going to be the test of, uh, you know, it's going to equally be on Lamar to make those plays because, you know, mathematically, the you know, Lamar is one of the guys that changes the math of football. And if there's, you know, if everyone's covered downfield, that's, that means Lamar is probably going to have room to work between, you know, the line of scrimmage and the first down marker to try and run for it. And so I think that's one of the things that the Ravens are kind of betting on him being the exciting player he is. And to a certain extent, it makes it fun to watch, if not, you know, a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Lamar is more than capable of doing that in the playoffs. Like, you know, in the Titans game two years ago, they won that game because of his 50 yard touchdown run right before halftime. You know, that was, it was, it was kind of a, a lower scoring, you know, more of a grind out game, but because of that really explosive play that he had that the Titans didn't really get in that game, like, you know, he was able to do that there. So, and then, you know, you can, you can see like there's there's a narrative about Lamar Jackson that like, oh, when he's put in pure passing situations, he doesn't do that well. And, you know, different stuff like that. But that the, the statistics don't show that at all. Like there's a there's a um, metric called expected pass based on like down distance, score differential, all that stuff. How likely is a team to pass on a play? And so when when Lamar Jackson or when when you filter it and you see, OK, are when when uh, a quarterback has a, a 70% chance or greater to pass, how do they end up performing on that play? Lamar Jackson is ranked third behind Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers uh, since 2019 in, you know, in high expected pass situations, like pure passing situations. And that's because, you know, either he's, he's passing pretty well in those, or like you mentioned, everyone's covered and he's taking off and scrambling, even though, you know, when he's dropping back. So you know, he, he's, he's very capable of doing that. And it's, it has to be pretty exciting to, uh, to see how that's going to turn out this year. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be a fun season and kind of on that note, you know, what do you, what do you, what, what, what couple things are maybe you most looking for from the Ravens this year? How do you think they'll do? Do you have like a rough record prediction? Will they make the playoffs Super Bowl? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So one of the things I'm, I'm really curious to watch this year with the Ravens is the aggressiveness on fourth downs. And that's because John Harbaugh has adjusted his fourth down aggressiveness based on how good he thinks his offense is. And so you can kind of get a picture of how much he trusts his offense to convert based on, based on his fourth down decision. So in 2019, when the Ravens had the best offense in the league, he was going for it on fourth down 60% of the time when the fourth down models recommended him to go for it. Um, but then in 2020, when the offense wasn't as good as it was in 2019, he had a 5% decrease in going for it when recommended to. And then last season, he was only going for it on fourth down 43% of the time when he was recommended to. And that's just because the offense wasn't as good last year. They're playing a backup quarterback, different stuff like that. So early in the season, I'm really curious in seeing 
how much he trusts his offense to convert fourth and ones and fourth and twos. And that'll give us a good feel of what he thinks about them. Uh, if I, if I had to give a record prediction, I would say the Ravens go 11 and six, uh, win the division narrowly, it, you know, it would probably come down to week 17, week 18, and then make the playoffs. And, um, and probably, you know, if, if they're in the wild card game, I could see them winning that, but it's going to be tough for them to really beat out the, the elite of the AFC, the bills, the chiefs. So I, I could see probably division game as a divisional round as their most likely outcome. I, I think the team that scares me just flat out more than anyone else is the bills. Cause they just got better this off season <laughs> and were already the best team in the NFL. Like you said, the, you know, we, we got the chiefs monkey off our back last year. We're going to have to try and get the Bengals monkey off our back this year. Um, but I, I think that I, I think the Ravens, I think the Ravens will be in that in that kind of underdog vein by the end of the season entering the playoffs. I think their their schedule after their buy is a little tougher than the schedule before their buy. And so I'm hoping that like historically, maybe this is just a feeling, but like it just seems like Harbaugh gets this team playing better when they're a little bit when they're underdogs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in 2019, they coasted off of being favored in a lot of games, then they walked in and got crushed because maybe not because they were crazy overconfident but they they were the favorites in that game and that's part of the reason why they got why they got crushed and it happened again um i'm sorry against the titans and so it happened again against the bills they finally got the titans off their back and they go in and lose to the bills and so i think they have to they have to have a little bit more of that chip on their shoulder as people you know as, as the nfl league wide not believing in them as much because I think that's when Harbaugh and this team typically get it together the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with you with with the Bills assessment there, and that that week five at five right week five yeah. game against them, yeah, should be a pretty big measuring stick for exactly where the Ravens are at, right? Like the the opening game against the Jets isn't going to tell us much, and you know maybe the first couple of weeks won't as well, but that that Bills game is is going to be pretty huge in determining, all right, are the Ravens just a good team that'll probably make the playoffs or are they a legit Super Bowl contender that has a, you know, a revamped defense, uh, you know, a, a third receiving option breaks out, different stuff like that, that can really propel them to, to the next level. Yeah. I mean, Bateman has to, I mean, I, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm treating Bateman's breakout as a given and I really shouldn't because he still has to, you know, do all those things. He flashed last year, but still, you know, he didn't have uh, that. He didn't have that crazy of a year after he got back from, from that initial injury. It's not like he was, you know, frequently rookie of the week or anything like that. And so I think that's the, I think that's maybe the biggest key, the biggest question mark for the Ravens that I think a lot of people are treating like a given, um, but has to actually happen. I think for them to get anywhere this season, he really has to be the first round receiver that they thought he would be. And, and honestly, he has to do better than Hollywood Brown. Did. I think that they have to get better. And so if he's moving into that top wide receiver slot, he has to do better than, than Brown did last year. I think he can, I just, that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. That's, that's a really good way to compare him to, to Brown is, is how well Bateman does there. And that could be the next step for the offense for sure. Yeah, because, you know, they're low. It seems like they're loath to pay big money to a wide receiver. But if Bateman turns out to be that guy with Lamar, then you might want to lock that down as your pairing. But my last question just was more of a fun one. Are there any like NFL players? And I'd say one offensive, one defensive. It doesn't have to be plausible that you would just love to see on the Ravens in their scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is this is a great question. 
Um, you know, I so I I thought about it, and you know, so I I really like the Ravens' run game, and I think it's cool how diverse it is and how much dressing there is to it and stuff like that. And so it would be really cool. You know, they they struggled with tackle play last year, right? And it'd be really cool to go out and get Trent Williams or something in, in a hypothetical world uh, where you have the best run blocker in the league, like easily, right? Like there's no debate about it. Um, and he could just maul people over in the run game. And you could just have Lamar or Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins on the left side, just running free untouched for like for 10 yards, um, um, which would be which would be a lot of fun there. They could literally pull a blind side and just run gap behind Trent Williams <laughs> and, and just pick up yards with the way their run game is. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be, it'd be really cool. It'd be sweet. Um, on the, on the defensive side, hmm, I, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see, uh, you know, let me think like, it'd be, it'd be cool if, if they got, you know, an, an interior defensive lineman that could really help them, uh, you know, run a lot of the too high stuff without having to worry about, getting gashed up the run in the middle. So, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be like an elite interior defense lineman. It could just be, you know, someone from Sebastian Joseph day, but you know, you could all, you could go all the way up to like DeForest Buckner or Chris Jones or something, just someone there with Trevon Jones that can, that can really help and like, you know, make sure that their defense is going to be as versatile as possible this year. Yeah. I think that's the kind of interesting thing about the Ravens is that they, it seems like they already have a lot of their playmakers and, and it's really going to come down to what their, can their, can their, you know, can their defensive line, um, you know, on, on the edge, I'm less worried. They're usually pretty good at like holding the edge against the run, but really can their interior defensive line, you know, control that point of attack, both against the run and even a little bit disrupting against the pass. So I know, I know they're hoping to see that out of Travis Jones and that's why they brought back Campbell, but it, it, it is not there currently. We have not, we have not really seen interior pressure in Baltimore yet. So we'll need those guys to take steps this year. Uh, Tej, thanks so much for joining us. This was, this was really a pleasure. I really loved hearing all the stats and analytics that you bring to this and really great to meet you. And uh, yeah, hopefully we stay in touch and love to have you back on again in the future. I know, I know it'll get busy during the football season, but hopefully we'll be able to work something out. Yeah, I know the, the pleasure was all mine. It was, it was a ton of fun to come in here. I really enjoyed this conversation. And if I, if I do come on again, I'll, I'll make sure to get a cool background like you have on Zoom here so I can, uh, I can match up there. But yeah, thank you again for having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks so much to everyone for tuning in.